Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. With me is my co-host, Ashley McLennan. Ashley, how are we doing tonight? We are solid. It is Taco Tuesday as we record this, so I definitely went out and had tacos and margaritas before recording. Oh, that sounds good. Sing, single margarita, so you won't get like slightly tipsy Ashley tonight, unfortunately. We won't get but, full, no full smashly tonight. No, no full smashly, but just a happy taco-filled, slightly tequila-ed Ashley. Oh, nice. All of which is required to uh, to get through the season of Tigers baseball that we're mm-hmm. all enduring here. Yeah, so here we are again. My team makes me drink. I think I have that on like a cup sleeve somewhere. I know, but you don't get to have that because you also have the damn Rays who are doing well. (laughs) It balances, man. So I've got one one team that may be the worst of like history. And then the other one where I'm like, do I have to consider whether or not I will have to buy World Series tickets this year? Because you are the most scrappiest of all the underdogs. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if it happens, it happens. I'm totally going. When I went, like last time I had a team kind of make the push was 2012 and i vastly overpaid for that trip so yep and then sat <laughs> through a, a chilly and brutal game one as i recall <laughs> yeah. it was game four. Oh, game well, four. I got to see oh, the final no. game oh, that and it was awful yeah game one was in san francisco that's right i forgot they had home field advantage yep ah yeah, yeah, yeah. I Good remember times. it all well, unfortunately. Yeah, I shouldn't even have brought that brought that back to mind. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate you bringing back those beautiful memories. Yeah, but in in keeping with that horrible memory, the Tigers are once again losing tonight on a Tuesday night when we're recording. We uh, we seem to record during a Tigers loss um, almost on a weekly basis. It's become kind of a tradition, kind of a theme for us. Well, there's far more of those than there are. Yeah, it's hard to hit those <laughs> the wins, wind, unfortunately. Yeah, and we had one good thing happen so far. Well, I mean, there's been a couple of good things. At least the offense got a little bit loose tonight. Uh, but Mr. Rogers, Jake Rogers with another home run, turned on what looked like a cutter from Yusei Kikuchi on the inner half and smoked it pretty deep into the left field seats. Um, so at least we have that. We we do have Jake Rogers to keep us warm in this the cold, cold winter that is this Tiger's team yep we have we have one one piece of the rebuild in place (laughs) see i had a thought today and i thought i would share it with you while we were before we get into like tigersy stuff because i was at a pub obviously and they were playing the jays game because i'm in canada and it's our only team and so i'm watching this game kind of peripherally and i'm thinking to myself you know what the jays are not very good this season the jays aren't going to win anything they're kind of just in the same kind of miserable rebuild slump that we are and i was mad i got mad about it because the jays get vlad jr and they get awesome Bo bichette and we get jake rogers yeah and yeah. don't get me wrong i love jake rogers and i'm very excited for the call up willie castro that will inevitably happen in september but man where's our Bo bichette yeah that's the question isn't it where's our Bo bichette you're not going to find a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., um, and I, I accept that. But, uh, yeah, but where is our awesome middle infielder of the future to build around? Not there. Totally non-existent. Um, we're going to have a ton of pitching. I mean, I think if you combined us with the Blue Jays um, organizations, you could probably probably field a hell of a team in about two years. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe yeah, instead of expansion, we should just create super teams by combining clubs. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, we just, you know, some kind of relegation where, you know, there's actually only, you know, 24 teams, but the, the six worst teams each year all get, like, chewed up for pieces for the next year or something. 
Yeah, I don't know. Something needs to be done to uh, push these teams to spend. Um, you know, honestly, we might as well get right into that just because I kind of wanted to talk about it anyway. And it's it's the fact that Nick Castellanos um, mashed, what, his fifth home run in 12 goddamn <sighs> games with the Chicago yeah, Cubs tonight. I, I think in about 80% of his games right now with the Cubs, he's hit for extra bases. Um, his home run numbers are jumping. Like... He claimed that the issue was the park in Comerica, and while I don't necessarily believe that, like I know it's one of the deepest outfields, um, but also this is a guy who raked the previous season. So I find it really hard to say that the Tigers' stadium was the problem, when I think it was just that he had given up trying with the Tigers, because... And I, it's hard for me to blame him, but at the same time, seeing how well he's doing in the Cubs is kind of like... It's rubbing some salt in the wound a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure it's because, rubbing salt in the wound for most of the fan base. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it's it's not just that he's succeeding somewhere else, which, yeah, it, it kind of stings. But it's that I feel like he's applying himself and trying harder and just doing better because he's enjoying his environment more. Like you're seeing the positivity in all of the interviews he's giving. The Cubs fan base has absolutely just glommed onto him. Like there's shirts coming out now that are big Nick Energy shirts, and people are already talking extension. And he's like, I just want to win right now. And I don't know how like that mentality shift has to feel when you're going from a team that's dead last that's clearly stated that they're not interested in extending you that's trying to like spread you thin over positions to a team where you can do the bare minimum you were doing in Detroit, just get the balls out and you're a hero. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with the park. Um, I definitely don't buy into any of that. And I don't, and I don't necessarily think that he wasn't trying. I just think it's, it's frankly impossible to, to play your best on a, on a terrible team where you go into the locker room every night and you've lost, you know, and you lose again and you lose again. And you know, a lot of those, those nights that the next day you're probably going to lose because you know, you don't even have an actual major league starting pitcher. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not crushing him for, for any of that. I, I think, I mean, it just all goes back to some of the points we've made for like three years now, which is that when, you know, when you get this bad, it hurts everyone. Like, it's not just a matter of like, oh, we're bad, but we're getting the, the number one overall pick. You know, that that's not worth the fact that you're undervaluing almost everybody you have on your team because it's hard to play to your best potential when you're around a bunch of guys who either shouldn't be in the major leagues or, you know, or are, you know, on the downslide of their career, like Mercer and Harrison were, where they're just fill-ins. Um, I just think it's hard to get the most out of yourself in that situation. And it, you know, it becomes like a, a negative kind of multiplying effect on everybody when your team is this bad. Um, I don't know. The Tigers, you know, obviously had some things go wrong early in the year with the starting pitching and maybe it wouldn't have been this bad, you know, in, in, in other, you know, circumstances, if you could go back and replay the season with a few different things happening. But um, yeah, it's um, it, it just seems like a player who's in his prime, who's a really good hitter, um, you know, wants to be on a good team. And despite Nick, you know, trying to be a leader and all that, he's also being undercut by the fact that the Tigers, you know, didn't value him at all. And Alavila has actually said on multiple occasions in off seasons, like, oh, no one, you know, no one wants to trade for Nick. Like why you would even come out and, and admit that about a player you're trying to trade um, is just kind of baffling to begin with. But I mean, they've just played this, they've played this badly the whole way. Um, you had your best player basically leave and you got nothing for him really. 
And I don't know what the Tigers were offered, you know, at the 2017 deadline. I don't know what they were offered last offseason for Nick. But it had to be at least as much, if not more, than what they ended up getting for him. And, I mean, it's just... It just goes back to everything we've we've each written pieces about, you know, the fact that the Tigers should have got on an extension almost immediately when they decided mm-hmm. to rebuild, or they should have decided to trade him, you know, for the most value they could get at the time. And instead, as as they've done in multiple situations, they just kind of didn't do anything um, and, and just kind of let it play out. And yeah, now we've got Nick Cassiano's superhero in Chicago, and uh, we've got Alex Lang you know, not very interesting relief prospect <laughs> and another guy. So, yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. I, I was just tweeting on Twitter about this, though, because, you know, people were posting the Nick home run and saying, like, you know, look at this. This is terrible. We should have got more for him, all that kind of stuff. But I also have to keep pointing out that you look at the Cardinals. I mean, it's not just the Cardinals or, or NL Central teams, but there's a whole bunch of teams that could have used Nick Castellanos and didn't, you know, didn't make any kind of a move to get him because it wouldn't have taken much to beat out the Chicago Cubs offer. And all these teams are kind of just sitting on their hands and not trying to win. And you know, like what, what is it adding up to now? The Cubs are, have kind of crept ahead. They're not running away with the NL central yet, but they look in much better position than they did two weeks ago. Whereas all these other teams look like they did nothing and intend to just kind of, well, maybe we can sneak into a wild card, you know, kind of attitude the rest of the way. So, I don't know, it touches, the Nick thing touches on so many different facets of the game right now, but it is frustrating. There was a, I I know you retweeted something about this as well, but there was a really good article in the Chicago Sun-Times, and it was all about how Nick kind of changed, like, his attitude and everything after his father's cancer scare um, two two summers ago. And if you look at his numbers from then until now, yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy who posts, you know, like an 880 OPS, like a really good hitter turned himself into a halfway decent outfielder, um, kind of went through all these personal changes while at the same time, you know, is, is stuck with a terrible franchise that isn't doing anything other than trying to build the farm system. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, it just all seems to play together in certain ways. Like the, his career arc and his personal life and everything that's gone on there and with where the Tigers were. And I don't know, it's... It's somewhat depressing on on the one hand because I really do feel like the Tigers screwed up with him and didn't get what they could oh, yeah. out of him. But at the same time, I'm happy for him. Um, I've always liked Nick. I've always been kind of Nick's big booster, I suppose, around the, the site. And so, yeah. I think the thing is, like, it's nice to see him happy because that's the Nick I remember from, like, two seasons ago, three seasons ago. Just, like, you know, jubilant and excited and, like, just happy to be there. And he wasn't that guy this season and it was really hard. So I, there's that, like you feel happy for his happiness, but at the same time, it's like watching Max Scherzer win a Cy Young in, in like Washington. You're like, but, but we had you first. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we we molded you and made you who you are. How could you forget us? Yeah. Why didn't you do that when you were here? I mean, he did. He did. Exactly. (laughs) That's the problem. He was that good. Texas case he did thankfully but yeah it's uh that one that one stings every day yeah and I I mean I'm just the type too where if I like a player and they leave the Tigers I just I, I know you're the same way we don't let them go and some of this is probably just from being baseball writers and the fact that you you start to root as much for like players and the story yeah. as, as for teams other than for me the Tigers and you for the Tigers and Rays I mean that'll always take precedence but 
Um, Ian Kinsler pitched a scoreless inning for the Padres last night. And what? I, oh, yeah. And I couldn't help oh it, but God, go back and watch. That. I had to watch the whole thing. Yeah. Alex Avila pitched for the Diamondbacks the other day. Yeah. Like, just last week. Yeah. I got I, so excited. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think he I think he gave up a run. Ian gave up a, a base hit, and I think he walked somebody, um, but then got, a, like, a scorching, a scorching double play ball to Fernando Tatis Jr., which is the guy you want, want it hit at. Although they've also got Manny Machado, so I guess you could get it there too. But uh, yeah, you know, he it was great because it was like classic Ian Kinsler. Like you could tell he was having a blast and like totally into the idea of pitching and his delivery and all this. But Sorry. he also just had that total stoicism on his face too. Like he wasn't going <laughs> to smile, wasn't going to joke. Serious grit face. Yeah, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm hoping I can mute this before it starts playing. Yeah, it was pretty fun. And, you know, I yeah, I, I posted a little mock scouting report because... I mean, he was throwing like 78, 80 miles per hour. And, uh, you know, he tried one curveball and just spiked it. Oh, my God. This was against the Rays. How did I miss this? Yeah. And he also became the first um, Padres pitcher to hit a home run in the same game later on in the next inning because he came up to bat and homered. (laughs) So, yeah, kind of a classic, like, late late period Ian Kinsler moment. Gosh, this is good. But we've talked about the good side of tonight's game, the Jake Rogers home run. The downside. That was the only good side, yeah. Well, I think John Hicks homer. There's been some hits, but uh, but the bad side is, of course, that Matt Boyd gave up four home runs tonight, and the home run issues are just rearing their ugly head with authority uh, as the season goes along, which, again, was somewhat predictable. I'm pretty sure I actually predicted it myself in the article I wrote, like the first couple weeks of the season, when we all noticed that. He was using his four-seamer more with the slider and that he had kind of changed his, his approach and all that. Uh, but it was he's still home run prone, um, just like Verlander, but doesn't have Verlander's fastball to, to keep people off of it or the or the curveball. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just gotten too predictable. I can't help wondering, though, if he maybe Matt Boyd isn't tipping some pitches here because, man, it just seems like they're just teeing off on the fastball. Like some of these guys just, just see it coming. They know it's coming. Um, you even got left-handers like Kyle Seeger, left-hander, hitting two home runs off of him tonight. So, yeah, I don't know what to do about that. But, of course, this has led to rage on Twitter. Oh, we should have traded him. He's a bum. People wanted too much for him, blah, 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 blah. <sighs> yeah, and I mean, I'm just so I'm so tired of all that. Um, you know, people wouldn't when give you very When he's good much. again next year, nobody's going to cry. Like... I'm sorry, one slump or a little period of pitch. Like, Justin Verlander was pitching, was tipping pitches for a while. So, like, let's calm down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's gotten better. Matt Boyd has gotten better every year over the past three years. Every offseason, he's gotten better. So I expect him to come out with some kind of ideas to deal with this next year, and presumably that will involve uh, a much better changeup. He's thrown really good changeups at times with the Tigers, but um, we haven't seen it so much this year so. I would assume that will be part of the off-season project, and hopefully he will take Daniel Norris up to driveline baseball with him and get Daniel Norris throwing max velocity drills and uh, finally putting the two-year kind of odyssey of his groin issues and core muscle surgery like Verlander had, all that crap behind him. I would love to see those two guys um, go up there and work on these things and come out strong next year. But, um, I mean, what are we going to do about Matt Boyd? Like, we know he's not a, we knew he wasn't an ace. Nobody thought he was an ace, but... I still think that there's a pretty damn good like two three starter there, and maybe with the right team or with another off season to kind of rework things. Um, I'm not terribly worried about his trade value. I I bet Matt Boyd will come out next year and be pretty good again. Oh, I have no doubt. 
Yeah, I don't really either. I'm fairly confident. Um, let's see. We have another bit of news that we're... There isn't a whole lot to say about Blaine Hardy probably being out for the season, except that um, it's a drag for us and it sucks because we're big fans of Blaine and Nikki. And Blaine has kind of, you know, kind of been the, the whipping boy for the Tigers for like four years now, like never really getting used in any kind of a fixed role and just kind of bouncing him around. And for the most part, he's handled it all really well and been really effective. That hasn't happened this year, but um, he's been dealing with this this forearm elbow issue all season long. So I suppose it's probably the right time to just um, let him get shut down. It doesn't sound like he's going to need surgery. Yeah, and... that's the nice bonus. I think it's just a shot. Um, so it's kind of just like stay, you know, keep off it, rest, and then you can start activity a bit earlier than he would, obviously, if he'd had to have surgery. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it'll only be like six weeks, so... Uh, by the time the season ends, he should be basically healthy again uh, and then just take his normal off-season rest, you know, and get back to get back to work in late November or, or whenever full-time. So um, I think the question is whether or not he will be back because I don't imagine the Tigers are going to tender him a contract. I believe he's in arbitration again this year. So I don't know. I don't know. We may have seen the last of Blaine Hardy, but we'll just have to see how things play out. I don't like that idea. Let's not talk about negative things like that. I don't really either. And I, and I and it still feels like, I mean, based on the season he's had, nobody else is going to be real enthused either. So if the Tigers want to, they should be able to, you know, bring him back on some kind of a minor league deal, something along those lines, I would imagine, or some kind of some kind of reworked contract. So I don't know if his time here is over. Um, no one ever leaves the Tigers. I mean, we've DFA'd Ryan Carpenter twice already. Uh, we like released Sandy Baez and then just re-signed him today. Yep, yep. Nope, <laughs> like, nobody, there's nobody, no escaping them. Yep, nobody wants them. You know, the Tigers keep bringing it back, and it's like, doesn't it tell you anything that no one else is even remotely interested right now? So, so it goes. But yeah, kind of a drag about Blaine. Been kind of a rough year after um, such an awesome. Just like because last year was so good for him, like the starts and the great long relief, and he had such a good season last year. Yeah, he really did. Yep. It was pretty impressive. Um, and they and really, I mean, he was like starting three games and then they'd bring him back three days on three days rest to relieve. He'd relieve again and then they'd let him sit a couple days and then it would be like, you know, a four inning spot start. I mean, he was just all over the place and he was doing really well. So, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully things go well for the Blaine. I would like, if not here for Blaine Hardy to find himself a home with a good team and maybe get a chance to you know, try to try to help a good team and get to the postseason. Um, he hasn't seen that kind of thing since 2014. So, and time's a wasting because he's over 30 now, and you know it's not gonna last. Not gonna last forever. So, that's true. You're only so young and so good for so long. Yep, yep, yep. So the next thing I was gonna bring up, um, I was just gonna talk about my David McKay article. Um, David McKay is a reliever that the Mariners put on the waiver wire. Um, about two weeks ago, and the Tigers picked him up. And his, in his first outing at Toledo, he struck out six batters, um, came in in relief in the sixth inning with a man on second and no outs, and struck out the side from there, and then came out the next inning and struck out three more. Um, oh. One of them reached base, and so he actually got a fly out or a pop out in that inning as well. So he collected seven outs, which isn't super easy to do either. Uh, but David McKay, I wanted to write about because he's really interesting, and he kind of... I, I mean, you can go read the article on Bless You Boys. Um, it's all about David McKay and his killer curveball. But the reason I wanted to write about him is that the Tigers have shown these signs of trying to find, you know, the high spin rate curveball guy. 
Um, you know, they've got Matt Hall who pitched tonight in relief. Um, who's a guy who can spin it up there at like 3000 RPMs, which is top of the line, like top 10 in the game elite level. Um, they got Ryan Carpenter, although they haven't actually made him use his curveball heavily, which I don't understand because it's a super high spin rate curveball and really the only pitch he's got that is major league quality. And Mr. McKay also falls under that rubric because he's another one who's got like a 3,016 RPMs average on his curveball. Um, and you can check that out over at blessyourboys.com. There's a whole bunch of GIFs so you can kind of see what it all looks like. But it does kind of show, I think, at least like some signs that the Tigers are are vaguely on the right track as far as identifying pitchers um, that maybe they can help and, and trying to find some guys with upside um, and I think we've seen that, you know, kind of in the draft too. There's been some interesting guys, obviously Tarek Skubal, um, has been the, the poster child for the Tigers, you know, hitting big on, on a guy and, you know, outside of the top couple rounds. So th- there's that going on. And I'm going to write about Tarek Skubal as well, um, because of this fastball and because he kind of throws, um, w- what is often termed the invisible, um, <laughs> which is kind of goes back, I think, to Sandy Koufax and maybe even someone before that, but it's sort of the high arm slot curveball where your arm is kind of tracing the line of the ball to the hitter as, as after you release, and so it's just really hard to pick up the ball as long as you hide it late. Um, Sandy Koufax was notorious for having this fastball that like no one could, could kind of even see until it was right on you. Uh, and there's a whole different, there's a whole bunch of ways to kind of pull it off. Like right-handers can pull it off too. Um, Yusmario Pettit um, or Petit. Um, has been really well known for that. And actually, um, our formerly our very own Mike Fires um, was another guy who sort of had that languid, like, over-the-top delivery that just made it really hard to pick up um, pick up velocity out of the hand and, and had some deception. So you can look for that coming as well, because I'm going to write about Scooble and Joey Wentz, because both of them do that, and it makes me think that maybe the Tigers are onto that as well um, as a characteristic that they like. Um, and this is what I've been looking for um, is, you know the Tigers like changing their profiles on the type of players they get and having like a specific, you know, ideal of types of guys that they want. Um, and they seem to be doing that with pitching. Um, we still see zero sign of that really happening um, with any position players. <laughs> so yeah. still seem to be no hitters down there, but yeah, I mean, the last one we really had was, wasn't it was Kristen Stewart where we were really excited about that bat. And then now he's hurt. Yep, now he's hurt as well. Um, I think it sounds like he's going to start a rehab again. Um, the first rehab after the concussion, I guess, didn't go so well. He still wasn't feeling quite right. So, And there's all kinds of weird symptoms with with concussions, nausea, and forgetting things, and all that kind of stuff. So apparently yeah, he was you got to be struggling. super careful. Yeah, you don't want him out there getting another one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Kristen Stewart we knew was going to have problems defensively. Um, but, yeah, we kind of hoped for you know a, a, a breakout bat. Because it seems like everywhere else in the game, we see a breakout bat, like, every week. Like, yeah, this past week, it was Aristides Aquino of the Cincinnati Reds, who I think hit eight home runs in his first eight games as a rookie. And every one of them was just absolutely murdered. Um, these other teams are bringing up just, you know, mashing stud outfielders, infielders, dudes who can hit all over the place. And we just we just have nothing. I don't know. This is the kind of thing that I'd like to write more about because the Tigers don't, I mean, they don't talk about it very much and we don't have any examples of like them doing things the right way and, and having success to just sort of compare to. So it's just a, just a whole bunch of sitting around, like waiting for them to finally put together some of these position players and, and make something happen. But 
man, it's been bleak. Been bleak on the farm uh, as far as hitters go. I guess yeah. the one guy who's been really impressive is Riley Green. Um, and, and Riley Green, who was the Tigers' um, first-round pick this year in the draft, he did really well with the Connecticut Tigers um, as an 18-year-old, you know, playing against a lot of guys who've been in college or had already played, like, Gulf Coast League rookie ball for a couple seasons. Um, so he did really well there, got promoted to West Michigan um, about a week ago and has done nothing but impress out there, and especially defensively, um, has made two outstanding, like, sports center caliber plays um, in center field already. So that's been uh, a pretty nice sign that um, he's got the defensive side of things going because I really, really like the bat and the swing, and he seems like a guy who's going to hit. So I guess we do have that going for us. But, yeah, outside of those couple guys like Erie and Toledo who might be kind of good, um, Riley Green's really the only hope for for a real stud uh, position player. There's some other guys with potential now. At least the depth is better, but... Yeah, we need uh, about three more guys like Riley Green, at least. I think the nice thing is, at least, that we're kind of seeing those glimmers a little bit. And it's not just guys at, like, high A that, like, are talked about in hushed tones. It's, like, guys that we're actually starting to see a little bit out of. So, I think that gives me a little bit of, like, a light at the end of the tunnel feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, It's just that, you know, we also have... You know, for example, we've got Jacoby Jones um, now gone for the season. And it's like, is anyone you know, notable going to be called up to play some center field or are they just going to kind of go Victor Reyes and Nico Goodrum um, and just kind of, kind of kill time there when they could be bringing up Jacob Robson or Danny Woodrow, I suppose, or they could even, you know, Daz Cameron's had a rough year. I assume they don't really want to bring him up, but hell, they could promote Derek Hill if they just want someone out there who can play great defense and is going to need to be added to the 40 man anyway. Yeah. Um, He hit his 14th home run tonight. Um, and I believe he has close to 20 steals. Um, and that's in like two thirds of what would be considered a major league season. So I don't know. He still strikes out a lot. He's not really major league ready as a hitter, but um, yeah, it would be nice if they'd call somebody up. I would like to at least see Robson because they've got all these guys like Robson Woodrow. Both have to be added to the 40 man. They have to decide what they're going to do there. Um, they've got Derek Hill and Jose Azucar um, with the Erie Seawolves at double A who are both going to play at Toledo next year. So they, those guys need a spot. So it just seems like it'd be the time to try, you know, one of the Toledo outfielders out here um, because you can't just stall all these people at Erie forever. But uh, I, I don't know. The Tigers really seem dead set on winning that Eastern League championship, it seems to me. I don't know. Yeah, not promoting any of the pitchers. Everybody, Everybody's just kind of sitting there. So I don't know if we'll see anything, but I guess... You know, we've talked. You mentioned Willie Castro earlier, and if we're thinking of another position player, it seems like one of the Toledo outfielders has got to get a shot some somewhere along the way here, um, just so that they at least know kind of what they've got defensively. Even if it's Danny Woodrow or Jacob Robson, who no one really thinks is going to be a full time player because of their bat, um, at least give something a try. Yeah. So with that, we've been looking forward kind of already, but um, let's take a look real quick at the 2020 schedule, which finally came out and featured all kinds of uh, kind of notably bizarre. Yeah, uh, well, if you if you kids like games against the Cleveland Indians, boy, do we have games against the Cleveland Indians for you for the first two months of the season. Yeah. Um, starting the season March 26th in Cleveland. Um, so I think as somebody on Twitter put it very succinctly, lots of double headers in June. <laughs> yep. 
Yep, for sure, because you know the weather's going to be bad. Oh, it's going to be trash. It's going to snow. There's a 100% possibility. I'm calling it right now. It is August 13th upon recording this. It will snow opening day in Cleveland. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And, I mean, they even started the season a little earlier this year, didn't they? Isn't it like two games? It feels, feels earlier, earlier, yeah. And, like, it's like, did we not learn any lessons from all of the bad weather at the beginning of this season? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you- like, as somebody pointed out, I think Patrick even from our own our own website pointed out that I, he was either Patrick or somebody from DRB, but there's a whole section of games in September. Like, there's a whole stretch of days like at the end of September where there's no games being played. Yeah. Where they want to try to uh, supposedly fit some of these in, I guess. I'm guessing, but like, why wouldn't you just move the season to start like April 1st and then have it run through even into the first couple days of October? Who cares? Yeah. I mean, I know they don't want to go any deeper. They, you know, they're scared to death of having the world series, like have snow in, in late October or something. But uh, yeah, it just, I mean, all they all they have to do, and we've said this for years, is just, you know, sort things out so that all the northern teams play in the south or play in domes yeah. for the first month. You know, I mean, that that's very doable. And it almost seems like they're daring Mother Nature here by doing the exact opposite. <laughs> like, no, you're going to play Kansas City and you're going to play, you know, Cleveland and you're going to do it all outdoors in April. Um, and, I, you know, I'm sure the scheduler doesn't give a rat's ass about the Tigers. I mean, supposedly this is all... Um, you know, neutral and, and they don't do do anything in regard to which teams are are favored and all that. But um well, but it's all, it's all that, digitized now, I think they like it used to be like this one couple did all of the schedules. Oh, it's digitized and now. Okay. It was yeah, it's all so here's the way it works now is that it's all sent in and teams can kind of rank specific requests so that they can ask for like specific stretches to not be at home. Like I know specifically for the Cubs they try not to have home games during Pride. Oh yeah, uh, just because it's it's a gong show in that area, yeah. so it's really hard to plan everything. So they tend to request that they be on the road during that specific stretch, so that there's not a competition for foot traffic and parking, and it's not two different crowds like being kind of wedged into the same space. Yeah. So teams can do that. They can submit this list of requests that they have, like, can we be on the road for this, and they rank them basically level of importance as to how important it is that those needs be met. And then the system kind of figures it out from there. So I guess nobody was like, no snow games in the beginning <laughs> of the year. Like, I feel like that's got to be looked at because obviously a, a digitized system isn't going to be like, oh, these are northern climates and the Midwest and the northern areas get snow this time of year, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, they need to, to factor, um, you know, probable weather into their into their algorithm because, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And then, of course, I think Rob pointed this out, like, and then we go to Texas for, like, seven games in late June or something. No, in August. <laughs> So, like, when it's scorching hot, we're all playing in Texas, but when it's freezing cold, we're playing up in the north, which, yeah, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why they don't get this together. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I guess, you know, I can believe that it's somewhat randomized, because it it really feels like they just pulled stuff out of a hat and got all kinds of weird results. The Tigers and the White Sox play 16 games um, against each other from June 5th to June 29th. <laughs> That's insane. Oh my god. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna be traveling between Chicago and Detroit for basically all of June and July apparently. Um, so yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I don't, I mean, what are you going to do? The Tigers, uh, aren't exactly the hottest watch anyway. So maybe that, maybe it just doesn't affect us as much as it will some other teams, but I just don't understand why they continue to kind of do it this way. No, it's, it's illogical. And I think if it continues this way, cause I think we're going to see the same thing we saw this year with so many canceled games and so many doubleheaders is that they're going to have to implement something in that system, um, to make it less terrible for northern facing teams yeah because it really i mean in the first part of the season it's sort of easier to manipulate your roster to you know to keep a fresh starter or you know to have to skip a day and then when you expected someone to start like you can kind of manage some of that stuff a little easier but yeah as the season goes on it just gets harder and harder Mm -hmm. Um, if you've all of a sudden got all these double headers coming up that you had to schedule for you know, I guess August or September because June and July is totally booked for the White Sox. Um, yeah, it just it just makes things harder on everybody. Um, there will be the ex, the twenty six man now on the roster, which I guess might might affect how how they view that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Pretty peculiar. Um, and I'm sure if you know if they did do it by hand, the AL Central would um, would definitely be pretty low on their totem pole of, of importance. Uh, real quick. Do you, I mean, taking a look at, at the AL Central, um, we had Anthony Fennick write an article the other day um, kind of talking about how all the Tigers are, are behind, you know, the Kansas City Royals as, as far as rebuilding teams go and how they're behind the White Sox as far as rebuilding teams go. And honestly, I thought the whole thing was, you know, th- this was the one where I thought Anthony jumped the shark a little bit and got a little bit hysterical because the Royals farm system is not good. Um, they've got a couple, you know, talented young players in Mondesi, um, Hunter Dozier, but Jorge Soler is all, you know, going to be a free agent in like two years. Whit Merrifield's already over 30. Um, they're going to have to trade him. Um, they don't really have that much good young pitching. Um, they've got a couple guys, but I don't know. I just, I just wasn't buying that at all. But I guess what that, ma- what that brings me to and what I wanted to discuss briefly is, um, do you think that it's still going to be Cleveland and Minnesota just kind of sitting at the top deciding, uh, who wins the AL Central again next year? <sighs> Unless the White Sox do something. See, here's my thing. For the longest, like two years ago, I think it was, the White Sox made all these insane moves. And I was like, holy crap, like the 2020 White Sox are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And while I have not necessarily seen force to be reckoned with level competition from them this year, I feel like they could be the surprise. Like, I feel like they could do next year what the twins did this year where nobody's like nobody coming into this season was like the twins they're gonna do something special in 2019 like nobody thought that and i think with a couple well-placed off-season moves to like tweak out their roster a little bit i think the white Sox might be interesting next season whether or not they're actually going to do anything um we'll see but i think that's my bold assessment of the central next year that the white Sox might be good yeah and the royals still will not be yeah i would agree with that as well um you know i mean i think that i think we all kind of like the twins this year we just didn't think that they had sort of like the the completed roster to actually compete um you know and and actually try to win something uh and i think that's kind of been proven out because they have made some moves but they've also kind of come back to the pack a little bit um, the Cleveland Indians made a couple big trades, um, which in retrospect look better and better to me now that they now that we've kind of had a little chance to look at it. And they I'm still in in absolute. Um, oh my god, brain Ashley brain, the thing where you don't believe something until you have to see it happen. 
I don't know. Disbelief? <laughs> it's a synonym. Oh, my God. Oh, you're incredulous. I am incredulous that I can't remember the word for denial. There we go. Oh, yeah. Still in denial that we're going to have to face Yasiel Puig that often. Yeah. Well, he's going to be a free agent after this year anyway. So we'll see him down the stretch here, but I don't yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really seem like an Indians move to pay for him in free agency. Oh, no. And they've done something, like, by trading Trevor Bauer, they've done some things. They got themselves a fifth starter in Logan Allen. Um, their young starters, like Zach Plesak and Shane Bieber, have been doing really well and look like they're going to be parts of the rotation going forward. Um, we don't really know what to expect from Carrasco, um, but they've still got him. Um, hopefully everything is going all right with his leukemia treatments. And then they mm-hmm. got Corey Kluber coming back. So, I mean, they still seem like they're absolutely set as far as pitching goes. Um, I think they still have Brad Hand next year. I'm not 100% sure on that, though. Maybe they don't. So that might be the place in the bullpen where they have some weakness. But they've already got a couple good position players um, coming, and they've also got a couple of pitching prospects that that a whole bunch of us really like. So they still seem like to me like they've done a pretty good job turning things over without um, kind of having to rebuild. And we know that the Cleveland Indians are going to spend a whole lot of money. Um, so they probably had to do that with, with Bauer. And in the process, they got themselves, you know, Fran Mil Reyes, who's going to be a dinger monster. Um, they got themselves, you know, Puig on the short term. And they have brought up Oscar Mercado to play outfield for them. Like, it just it just feels like they've kind of made made things happen again um, to where they can they can extend their window if someone doesn't make a run. Um, I think the, the real interesting point with the Twins is that I can't remember where I saw this or who figured it out, but the Twins have most or all, something like half their payroll or pretty close to it um, coming off the books next year. Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of old signings there that are that are all going to come off. So they're they're going to be well positioned, I think, to to make a push next year. And I still think the White Sox are kind of going to get big brothered to the back um, until they sort of figure figure something else out and finish that uh, pitching staff off. They do have Michael Kopech who will come back next year and probably be throwing a hundred, but he won't be back until probably the second half. Um, they got Lucas Giolito going really well this year um, and looking like, like borderline ACE material. Um, they've sort of figured out Ronaldo Lopez. It feels like lately, who's another guy I really like who I kind of put with um, Aaron or yeah, Aaron Sanchez who the Blue Jays traded to the Astros, and also Nick Pavetta, who pitches for the Phillies, is guys who didn't command their their two-seam fastball that well, and it didn't pair very well with what is a fantastic curveball. Um, the, the Astros traded for Sanchez, and of course they did what the Astros do, which is say, hey, no, throw the four-seamer and your curveball, and he's been good you know, the two times out since they've gotten him now. And it feels like, yeah, maybe the White Sox have figured that out as well. But yeah, it's just... The White Sox offense has been, I think, the worst in the game so far in the second half. Yeah. And they haven't had Yuan Mankata, but, you know, they've still got Abreu. They've still got Eloy Jimenez up. Tim Anderson's had a really good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just never seems to be enough. And this, all, I guess this all just kind of goes back to my just complete lack of faith, I guess, in the White Sox organization being able to, to turn all this talent into anything. Because they failed last time when they had Sale and they had Quintana and all those guys. Um, and it just feels like they're... They're trending in the right way to fail again. And, you know, maybe they'll prove me wrong. Maybe they'll spend wisely this time rather than... Yeah. Who was it last? Like, they spent on, like, Adam Dunn and Todd Frazier and... Uh, who was the guy? Adam LaRoche. Like, uh, they just... They spent a lot of terrible money um, and, and just kind of kicked themselves in the in the butt on that one. 
Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, but it it still feels to me like next year it's it's just going to be the Twins and the and the Indians and who can sort of kind of refashion the roster in the off season to be the better team. So, and we will probably still be carrying carrying the baggage in the rear, I assume. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to be kind of slogging along. Hopefully, not the worst team in baseball again. Yeah, hopefully. Like it would be nice to see a little bit of a turnaround. Um, and in future episodes over the next couple of weeks, we are going to start kind of talking about the stretch drive and and maybe even a little bit of talk about what what the Tigers might start thinking about um, for the off season. But for the time being, it's only mid-August and we've we've got a ways to go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, we're probably going to wrap it up um, there. Uh, did you want to talk about um, the YouTube videos you had come out this week? Uh, yeah, I've got what, what came out today. Oh, my God. Um, I just pass balls. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, wild pitches and pass balls was today's and then how do i have schedule i scheduled just two weeks worth um yesterday i think so now i'm trying to remember what's what um give me one second and then you can cut my indecisive mumblings (laughs) yeah exactly um thank you um oh my god ashley uh so yeah to this week is uh yeah wild pitches and past balls and then double and triple plays is coming up on thursday and the much confused and strange phrase banged is coming on saturday this one kind of stirred all of us up a little bit in the slack channel one day so i thought i would do a post on it and then next week you can have a look forward to win expectancy win probability in one episode and then win probability added and then fielder's choice Ah, are our next week's events awesome that's a that's a pretty good rack of uh of stuff there to look forward to yeah and i recorded some stuff so that we'll uh, i'll be talking about september call-ups in the coming weeks uh and then i'll probably have a video in mid to late september about the postseason as well so those are for sure nice Okay. Um, yeah, for me, you can look forward to the Invisible article. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the Invisible and uh, what the Tigers might be, what m- they might be looking for there. Um, and I would also just uh, just to put this down for posterity. Um, keep an eye out for Kyder Montero, um, starting pitcher with the Connecticut Tigers. I've watched his last three starts. Um, the cameras at Connecticut are terrible, and so I can barely even see what he's throwing. But I loved his delivery and his stuff, from what I could tell. And he absolutely dominated again tonight. So we've been waiting for um, some some of the international free agents to kind of show up and, and do something um, beyond Wenzel Perez and one or two others. Um, so Kyder Montero might be might be a guy. So keep an eye on him. Um, keep a lookout for all of our stuff at blessyouboys.com. Um, you can follow Ashley at 90 Feet From Home on Twitter. And you can follow me at Fiscadoro74. Ashley, have a good night. You too, man. Hopefully nobody else gets injured between now and the next podcast. Yeah, please. (laughs) Maybe we'll get a call up too. That would be nice. That would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. Bye.